turn in your Bibles to the book of James as we continue in this series where we have been looking and understanding what it means to live out a real faith in real life. Now, James has sought to challenge his readers and challenge them to examine uh, not only their hearts, but as we have studied this passage, our hearts and our faith as well, asking the question, what kind of faith do I have? Is it a faith that is all talk? Or is it a faith that really uh, sees in its walk a matching of the talking that's coming out of our mouths? Now, last week, we learned about the power that the tongue has. Pastor Steve spoke about the power that our words can have in every facet of our lives. And one of the things that it does is it boasts many things. And one of the things that we can do as Christians is boast that our walk with Jesus Christ is way stronger and way deeper than it really is. And so James has used this letter, this first century letter, to ask us over and over again, am I truly walking with my God in a way that I say I am? Is what I'm living truly in line with what I'm advertising to a watching world? And James has put us into a classroom each and every week, and he says, it's test day again. And last week we took a test on the tongue and we asked the question, how is my tongue doing at advertising the faith that God has given me? And this week we address the issue of wisdom. And we asked the question, am I living according to God's wisdom or am I living according to my own? And James is going to address this and he's going to ask the question that we all have to ask ourselves. And that question is, who is wise and understanding among you? But in order to do what he's going to ask us to do, we need to humble ourselves this morning as we listen to the word of God as it's read and as it's taught, and hopefully that we'll walk out applying it to our lives. So let's look at James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, you can see on our screen, you can find that passage in the Pew Bible in front of you on page 1012. Here's what verses 13 through 18 say. Who is wise and understanding among you? Uh, By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. We ask that you would teach us, that we would take our place at our desks and we would acknowledge that you alone are worthy to be the one who teaches us the ways of life. Lord, you are the one who has wisdom. You are the one who has the answers to the questions that perplex us today. Lord, at times, so many times, we have no idea where to go or what to do. Lord, we try to make plans. We try to uh, parent our kids and live in accordance to your word with our marriages and in our workplaces and in our communities. But Lord, we struggle. Our selfish ambition, our envy get in the way. And so teach us today what true, pure wisdom looks like. Show us, Lord, that the culture around us, uh, the wisdom that they have for sale, the wisdom that they promote, 
is a wisdom that will do us no good in the long run. Lord, I pray especially now as we enter into this season of Easter that you would move in our hearts to seek and to uh, ask you who we might invite. That, Lord, we might be a bright light in this community. That we might share the goodness of the hope that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray for our Easter services and we pray that they would be designed and that they would be... um, that they would play out in such a way that would change lives. Be with all the details of everyone who will ask, who will invite, who will serve, so that your services a month from now, Lord, might bring glory and honor to you. Thank you for the time and your word, Lord, and we ask your blessing upon it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, back in the day, when you were to seek wisdom, or you were to seek answers, you would turn to an individual uh, who was older than you. Yeah, maybe mom or dad, maybe a grandparent, maybe a, an aged neighbor who had lived a life a little longer than you had. Uh, but with the advent of technology, that's all changed. You see, young people have questions. What should I do in this situation? Who should I date or, or marry? Where should I go to college? How should I manage my money? Uh, how can I walk, uh, grow in my walk with God? We're filled with questions as young people, and we used to turn to those individuals. But as the Internet began to take place about 30-some years ago, instead of turning to those who were a little older and a little wiser, uh, we began to turn to our iPads and our iPhones. We turned to things like Yahoo or Google. And we began to ask the questions that perplexed us. We began to rely on machines instead of people. And we've done that. If you've ever noticed when a question has come up amongst a group of people that no one seems to know the answer, someone will inevitably grab their phone, hit the microphone button, and ask the question. And in a matter of a nanosecond, you get the answer that was perplexing the group of people. You see, Google loves this. Google has a goal, a a mission... To be able to answer every question that you have. About 15 years ago, Google uh, boasted a 50% accuracy rate with regards to answers to your question. That means every one out of every two times that you would ask a question, that Google would respond, they would get the answer right 50% of the time. Now, 15 years later, they now boast over a 90% accuracy rate. And they're not done. That's not good enough for Google. You see, uh, not too long ago, I was watching CNBC, and a representative from Google was on uh, giving an interview, and he talked about something that they've been working on for years. And some of you may be aware of this if you're a techie type of individual. What he began to talk about was the knowledge graph. And the knowledge graph is a whole system uh, of uh, all kinds of information that is stored on, on uh, acres, if you will, of servers. And what it's doing is pooling all of our combined information, all of our combined answers. It's going to websites all over the place and building this matrix. What it's doing is it's taking all this information so that when you ask any question, it is able to address it and give you an accurate answer. It is scouring, I don't even know how to explain it, the the cloud, 
and trying to understand and, and, and disseminate the information that's on that cloud so that when you type the question on your keyboard, the answer will be there ready for you to receive it. And their hope is, listen, the, the rep said, we are looking forward to a day when we will be able to answer every, yes, every question that anyone could ever ask. Google wants to be God. They want to be able to address every issue, every concern. But I'm here to tell you, while that is their goal, uh, it is far from perfect. You see, uh, not too long ago, I had a terrible headache that was was behind my right eye. And I was really worried about it. It was really bugging me. I don't get headaches that often. And this was a, a blistering headache. And so I went on Google and I said, uh, what causes a, a major headache behind the right eye? And I got two answers. The first answer was it could be a slightly inflamed sinus or a watermelon-sized tumor that by the time I got done reading the symptoms, I would be dead. As you know, it probably was a minorly inflamed sinus because I'm still here. You see, the problem is, is when we go to things that are man-made, we always run the risk because at the end of the day, man really doesn't know fully what they're talking about. And yet, in our society and in our culture, instead of turning to the greatest expert to ever to be known by man, we turn to ourselves, we turn to technology, we turn to our friends to seek out the answers we're looking for. Uh, last summer, I was uh, reading a, a magazine, and an ad came up that was from Gillette, the shaving company. And their tagline for the month of June, which of course consists of Father's Day, was a simple tagline that had nothing to do with shaving. And yet I applaud them because I think that it hit a home run with an issue that's facing our culture today. And the Gillette tagline was, Ask Dad, Not the Internet. Ask Dad, Not the Internet. What they were trying to promote was communication between children and their fathers. That dads, imperfect as they are, have a great opportunity to dispense wisdom and knowledge with love and sincerity to their children. Not too long ago, I found this video that I think uh, really brings that issue home. And then I'm going to apply it to our relationship with God. Go ahead and watch this. You know, here's the truth of the passage of Scripture we have before us. And it's illustrated in a human side of what we've just seen. We long for information. We long for wisdom. We are lost without it. But as Christ followers, what God desires more than anything is that we would run to him, that we would seek his wisdom, that we would go to him and ask him, Dad, will you help me with this? Dad, will you share your infinite wisdom with me with regards to that? Dad, I don't know where to go. Dad, I don't know what to do. And so I turn to you and remember what the book of James says in James 1.5. We are to ask God when we lack wisdom and God will give it generously without finding fault. You see, we serve a God. We worship a God 
who is infinite in his wisdom and knowledge. And he wants to share that wisdom and knowledge with us. But the question is, are we ready to receive it? You see, he knows us better than anyone does. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he longs to give us that wisdom. And James tells us today what that kind of wisdom looks like and what that life looks like when it's following the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of man. You see, the people in James' day were living in a world full of conflict and strife. They had decisions about their life and about their faith. They at times didn't know where to go or what to do. The day of James's letter were times of trials and tribulations where people were filled with anxiety and fear. They wanted to know God's commands. They wanted to know God's will for them. But at times, they just didn't know what to do. So in this letter that we've been studying, James gives a gift. A gift to the people. A gift to you and I that we might know how to live life to its fullest. But to do so... We have to buy into the wisdom of God. To live out the desires of the heart of God, we must humble ourselves and give ourselves wholly over to his wisdom and his knowledge. To do so, we're going to have to look at three things this morning. First of all, to live out that kind of wisdom, we must determine what wisdom is. We must determine what wisdom is. Notice verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James asked the question, are you wise? Sit for a second and allow that question to sink in. Are you wise? Do people come to you seeking advice and wisdom? Do people look at your life and say, you know what, that's the kind of life I want to have? Some of my greatest mentors in my life are men who didn't make a whole lot of money, who were all together, all that educated, but they were men that I watched them live life, and I said, I want to live life that way. I want to make decisions that way. I don't want to be fearful and filled with anxiety when trouble and hardships come. I love their solid foundation that they have. I want their kind of life. And so the question we have to ask this morning is, are we wise? You see, no one wants to be foolish. No one wants to be unwise. We all want to be perceived as intelligent. We all want to be perceived as in the know, as people of wisdom. And the Bible says that's a scriptural goal. In the book of Proverbs, we're reminded in Proverbs 2.4 that we are to seek for wisdom because it's a hidden treasure. It's something worth finding. But the real question is how you can put true, real wisdom, godly wisdom into practice. To be able to do so, we've got to ask the question, what does wisdom mean? What does it mean? We have to define our terms. Let me make this clear. As we begin to examine what James has to say on the subject of wisdom, we need to not confuse knowledge with wisdom. U.S. Army General Omar Bradley once commented, the world has achieved brilliance without wisdom. What the general realized is that there's a vast difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge alone isn't enough. For example, let me share some things that you maybe never knew, and I'm going to help you in your next uh, game of Trivial Pursuit. I'll help you the next time you're on Jeopardy. A couple of things maybe you didn't know. Number one, did you know that there are only two people in Saudi Arabia who subscribe to Surfer Magazine? Only two. 
Did you know that from space, the brightest man-made um, city is Las Vegas? Did you know that the most stolen items in a grocery store are batteries, cosmetics, sunglasses, and you're going to get a kick out of this one, Preparation H? <laughs> Did you know that Weir Al Yankovic was the valedictorian of his high school class, and he holds a master's degree in architecture? So you didn't know that. Some of you don't even know who Weird Al is. You didn't know that, and now you've got a little more information. Now you're a little bit smarter, and the problem is, is that while with your advanced storage of knowledge, you haven't become any more wise. You have a lot of useless information, a lot of useless facts. But the distinction between wisdom and knowledge is something that our modern world doesn't seem to distinguish between, because they equate wisdom with intelligence, titles, and degrees. But knowledge is the accumulation of facts. We have at our disposal, listen, more knowledge than we'll ever know what to do with. More knowledge at our disposal than all of history. In fact, every four years, uh, knowledge or information doubles. And so your ability in four years to take in all the information and knowledge will double in four years. There's more at your fingertips in your cell phone than the information that sent a man to the moon. We are blessed with all kinds of knowledge. But knowledge at our fingertips isn't enough. We need wisdom. We have plenty of knowledge. But we need to know how to apply that knowledge. The experience that tells us how to live differently as a result of the knowledge we have. This is seen in some fairly uneducated people. Take some school-aged children, for an example, who have greater wisdom than we give them credit for. Patrick, who was 10, said, never trust a dog to watch your food. That's wisdom. Michael, age 14, says, when your dad is mad at you and asks the question, do I look stupid, don't answer him. Michael also said, never tell your mom that her diet isn't working. Smart guy. Randy, age nine, said, stay away from prunes. Let that sink in a little bit. You wonder how Randy came to learn that information. (laughs) Lauren, age nine, said that permanent markers aren't a good substitute for lipstick. Joel, age 10, said, don't pick on your sister when she's holding a baseball bat. And Eileen, age Eight, the little theologian that she is, says you never want to try to baptize a cat. (laughs) Uneducated people with not all that much information who are wise beyond their years. And yet we still don't fully recognize what the Bible means when it says we are to be wise. Who is wise and understanding among us? And the Bible dedicates an entire book in the Old Testament to this issue of wisdom. It's called the book of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, every time it speaks of wisdom, it uses a Hebrew word that we uh, translate hakma. Really get it, the phlegm going on that one. Hakma. I want you to lean over to the person next to you, get the spit, and I want you to to say the word is hachma. Do that. Hachma. Go. Yeah, that's sick. That's gross. Okay? Some of you need to get up and leave because you just got showered with a whole bunch of stuff. But this word hachma 
is, is not what we think wisdom is. It's not information. It's not intellect. It's not a head knowledge. It's not even a heart knowledge. But the idea of this word hakma is living life skillfully. Anytime the word hakma was used, it would, it would be used to describe a person who had a prowess in what they were doing. So if you were listening to a wonderful musician who was able to play the instrument as good as anybody you've ever come in contact with, you would say, that musician has hakma. They're skilled. If it had to do with a craftsman or an artisan, if it had to do with an athlete on the athletic field, where they rose above all other people on the field or all other people in their field of work, you would say of that person, they're skilled, they have hakma. And what James has told us is, is that the Christian, above all other people, should be able to live out a life that is full of this hakma, this wisdom. And God has already promised that he will give this hakma to all without finding fault. He is generously willing to hand this to anybody who is willing to receive it. He gives it with great generosity. You see, what, what, what hakma is, is it's the way to live life in a skillful way in accordance with God and his word. The Christian should be viewed by the unbelieving world as the best practitioners of living life. I want to say that again. Your neighbors and your family members should be able to look at your life as a Christian and say, listen, I don't buy that they love Jesus all that much, meaning I don't, I don't, I'm not going to do that in my life. I don't know why they pray so much. I don't know why they're at church all the time. I don't know why they read the books that they do and, and, and why they say no to the things that we say yes to in our culture. But here's what I know. While I'm not sure I buy into everything that they're doing, here is one fact I know. They sure live life well. Can your friends, can your neighbors look at your life and say, listen, I don't agree with their religion, but I surely can say, boy, they're living life well. They seem to be skilled at it. Or does your unbelieving neighbor say, man, that guy next door who says he loves Jesus, who goes to church all the time, who says he knows how to live life, yeah, you know what? He's just struggling through life like me. He doesn't know at times which way is up. According to verse 13, listen, our lifestyle will be the leading indicator of the level of wisdom that we have. Write this statement down. Wisdom is not measured by degrees acquired. Wisdom is not measured by degrees acquired, but by spiritual deeds accomplished. And some of us lack wisdom because we're trying to live life on our own, through our own thinking and through our own wisdom, instead of leaning on the God who gives it generously to all. Now, now why would wisdom matter? Why does wisdom matter? I mean, really, at the end of the day, does it really matter if I'm wise or not? The answer is is that the Bible says that wisdom is of great value. The Proverbs tell us that finding wisdom, like I said, was a hidden treasure. You wanted to get it. You wanted to grab a hold of it because when you had wisdom, you had a treasure that was going to keep giving and giving and giving. The the book of Proverbs, write this passage down, Proverbs 3.13 Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, tell us that wisdom, and write this down in your outlines just in the space there provided, that wisdom is greater than monetary power. 
that wisdom is greater than monetary power. What it means, what I mean by that, it's greater than money. Notice in Proverbs chapter 3, listen as I read, uh, 13 through 15. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from wisdom is better than the gain from silver. And wisdom's profit is better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. It's greater than monetary power. Notice second, it's greater than military power. Uh, write this passage down. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 16 through 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 16 through 18. Here's what it says with regards to military power. But I say that wisdom is better than strength or might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. For the words of the wise are heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom is better than than weapons of war. It's better than monetary power. It's better than military power. And finally, write this down, it's better than mental power. It's better than what we can think through or or work through with our human minds. Again, the book of Proverbs speaks to this. Write this passage down. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. She will love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow upon you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Don't let her go. Guard her, for wisdom is your life. We need wisdom. And all of us are seeking after wisdom. All of us are looking for wisdom. But herein lies the problem. Wisdom is not the high commodity that we long for in this world. And let me give you an example. As a parent, wisdom at times is the thing that I least think about in the raising of my kids. You see, you would think that because God says this is such a hidden treasure, that we would be doing everything in our power to pour into our kids the wisdom, the hakma of God. But we don't. For many of us as parents, we are more concerned that our kids be the greatest students in the classroom, the greatest athlete on the field, the greatest musician in the choir or the band. We want to make sure that our kids are the best citizens in the community. We want to make sure that our kids are the most desirable to attend a dance with. And so we raise our kids with all of these ideals, and none of them inherently are bad. But they are secondary to making sure that we're teaching our kids and training them and instructing them 
with the wisdom of God. You see, at some point, your child is going to grow up. And are they, when they're 25 years of, years of age, are they going to have the hakma, the skill to address the issues that come in adult life? Are they going to be able to take on everything that comes their way? Knowing they can turn and walk in accordance with the wisdom of God. If you've trained them, if you've taught them to be all the things outside of wisdom, they will not be ready. They will be stunted in their ability to know the wise ways of God. Wisdom is not a priority for us as a people. And God says that needs to change. So notice what James says. He says, listen, okay, now that we understand what wisdom is, it's skillful living. It's living life with the skill that only God can give. We've got a question or we've got a decision to make. We must decide between two competing kinds of wisdom. And James begins to address it. And notice in the text, he starts in verses 14. And he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Let's stop there. We get a contrast of two kinds of wisdom. Now, I want you to know this morning that every one of us is seeking wisdom. So the question isn't, are you seeking wisdom or are you not? The question is, as you're seeking wisdom, are you choosing God's wisdom or your own? The wisdom from above or the wisdom that comes from below? The wisdom that comes from heaven or the wisdom that comes from hell? That is the question that each of us are facing this morning. And the first kind of wisdom we have, we are told, is a wisdom that is from heaven and built... It's built on theology. It is a true wisdom that comes from heaven, it comes from above, and it's built on theology. Do you want wisdom from God? Then it means having a theological foundation. And I'm going to give you a short theology study of what it means to have good wisdom, godly wisdom. And this trajectory of this theology will lead you in your life. The theology is twofold. Write this down somewhere. The first aspect of theology that you must know is there is a God. There is a God, okay? And we need to know about this God. This God that the Bible speaks about is all-powerful and all-knowing. He is the all-wise God whose ways and plans are higher than our ways and plans. This God is the one who knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. He is the one who brings all things to pass. He is the one who will see every detail of life brought together just as he has planned. He's the God who offers to give us wisdom. He wants to share the secret to abundant life in Christ with you. This God is the one who sent his son Jesus to die so that we might be given the gift of wisdom. We have a God who is all awesome all the time. That's point one of your theology. There is a God, and he is greater than our minds could ever comprehend. That brings us to the second point of theology. There is a God, yes, and you're not him. You're not him. 
So let's talk about what the Bible says about you. The Bible says, listen, we could exhaust ourselves on how great and how awesome and how powerful and how wise this God whom we serve is. But the Bible throughout it says, yes, there is a God and he is as great as the Bible says he is, but you're not him and neither am I. And when the Bible speaks about us, notice how it speaks of us, not in the same way. It says we're finite we're flawed, we're broken, we're sinful, we're small, we're short-lived. While God has no problems, our lives are filled with problems. Our lives, while God, can't, while God cannot be tempted, we are tempted at every corner. At every moment in our lives, while God has no questions, we're full of questions. Well, God never wonders about what's going to happen tomorrow. We're always worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. Well, God knows what's going to happen in a hundred light years away from us. We don't know what's going to happen right in front of us. You see, God, who is totally awesome, is a God who generously gives wisdom to you and I as men and women who are totally helpless. There is a God. And he is far more, infinitely far more wise and understanding than we are. And we are stupid people. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. And yet we are fools because we think we can do this thing called life on our own. You would think that with this theology that God is awesome and we are helpless, that we would run all together to God, that we would seek his wisdom each and every moment that that wisdom would cause us to bow the knee to Jesus, that it would be that wisdom that would call us to hear the gospel, that we have a holy and omnipotent God who has shown grace and mercy through his son, Jesus Christ, who was willing to go to the cross and die for our sins so that you and I, helpless, rotten, filthy people, might be made new in Christ Jesus and might be given the wisdom of God to live our lives for his glory and for our good. But we don't. We don't. For many of us, we choose to not base our, our, our wisdom on good theology, on godly theology. No, there's another competing way we can go, and that is a false wisdom that is based on anarchy. So instead of following God, God, you're in control. God, you're way smarter than I am. I'm going to go your way. I'm going to live the way you tell me to live. Even when it doesn't compute with my desires or my purposes, you're always going to trump what I think. No, instead of that, we go our own way. Notice verses 15 and 16. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. What isn't? It's a wisdom that has bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in hearts. He says, this wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So there's a second kind of wisdom. And the book of Proverbs tells us, Solomon says, there is a way that seems right to man. There's a wisdom that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to, help me out, destruction. It leads to destruction. And so we need to recognize this morning that there is a way that leads to our doom. Where does that wisdom come from? From the pit of hell. James tells us it's demonic. Now, does that mean that everyone who shuns truth and true wisdom is a demon? Not exactly. 
What he's saying is, is this type of wisdom is the type of wisdom that the demons showed when they were in heaven before their fall. You see, the Bible says that before the fall, demons were angels. And demons, before they fell in their rebellion against God, worshipped and served God all throughout eternity past. They saw God in his greatness. They saw God in his goodness. They worshipped him day and night because they knew there was no one greater than he. They served him and, and rested on that wisdom. Their lives as angels were filled with every blessing because God is a good God. But at some point, and we don't know when that exact point took place, and it began in the heart of the chief cherub, Lucifer, they would rebel against God. One-third of angels would rebel against God. Instead of seeing his greatness, instead of experiencing his goodness, they said, we're going to go it alone without God. I want you to know this morning that the same sin of the demons is alive and well even in some of the hearts of people here today. You see God's greatness. I mean, how can you not? You look outside, you see the majesty of what God has created. Uh, Just this last couple weeks, NASA told us that there are now galaxies they never knew about. That all of a sudden they're blown away and they say, man, we found a whole lot more space out there and it contains all kinds of planets and all kinds of systems we never knew existed. And here's the thing, how can you not believe there's a God? And the majesty of that God and the power of that God. And you woke up this morning, I'll bet uh, an hour earlier than you wanted to, and there were uh, uh, oxygen in your lungs, and there was enough uh, equilibrium in your system to get you up and, and, and move your carcass from the bedroom to the bathroom to get cleaned up. And you had everything you needed to get here. And this the planet that God has put you on is just at the right place in the solar system that a foot too close or a foot too far, we would either burn up or freeze to death. And God has given us out of his goodness the ability to love, the ability to work, the ability to have fun, the ability to have relationships. And so this morning, each and every person on the face of the earth has experienced the greatness of God and the goodness of God. But what man does is just like the demons, we say, you know what, I see your greatness, I know your goodness, but I'd rather live life on my own. And so that's what we do. We live life apart from God and what James says is this is a demonic kind of wisdom. This is a wisdom that does not throw itself at the feet of God, worshiping and serving him. It's one that walks away and says, I can do it better on my own. And so that's what man does. And he does it on his own. And what comes with it? All kinds of evil. All kinds of sorrow. We turn on our TVs and we watch the local news and and what do we see? Murder, rape, hostile robbery. We see all kinds of racism and hatred. And people will ask all the time, where did that come from? It came from a life that lives apart from the wisdom of God. And when we do that, Even as followers of Jesus Christ, we will find ourselves falling over to this selfish ambition and this envy. Why? Because, listen, every person believes there's a God. The question is, who is he? You see, unbelievers believe there's a God. The problem is they think they're him. 
You see, our unbelieving friends and neighbors and, and co-workers, they know there's a God. They just think that they're Him. And so when they get mad on the expressway, they take personal when someone cuts them off. How could someone cut God off? And they bring their wrath and judgment. When their spouse doesn't do what they, God, think they should do, they unleash all manners of hell against them. You see, when we think we're God, we won't forgive. When we think we're God, we will wreak havoc in the lives of people. But when we recognize there's a God and we're accountable to Him, when someone wrongs us, we say, hey, I'm small. I'm not that important. But God is. And my response to that injustice is going to either glorify God or it's going to tell the world I really don't know God. And so we need to recognize what what wisdom are we going to pursue? True wisdom or false wisdom? All of our crimes and misdemeanors are an example of a world that's chosen false wisdom over true. God has created each and every one of us to live in light of Him and to tap into that wisdom so that we might have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you this morning? Who is wise and understanding among you? Well, what do we need to do? We need to depend daily on God. We need to depend daily on God. Notice in verse uh, 18... He goes, I'm sorry, verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, I could go through each of these eight characteristics and we'd be here until the second service comes in. And so I'm going to say, listen, I think all of us, these aren't hard words to know. These are all words we should readily know and understand. And the question I have for us this morning is that what describes your life? Are these eight characteristics things that describe you? Would your coworkers, your friends, who would see this list, who maybe know nothing about the Scriptures, would they say, that describes Tim? That describes you? And that doesn't just describe you when everything's going well. Does that describe you when the world is caving in around you? Would they say these things about you and about me? James says they should. But I want you to recognize this morning that God has gifted us wisdom. He wants us to have something that we could never produce on our own. And so we've got to go to God and we've got to ask God for his wisdom. And the reason why is because godly wisdom is able to overcome a life of mistakes. It is able to overcome a life of mistakes. These eight characteristics that God gives... He wants to bless us with because he knows that without him giving them to us, we'll never get them on our own. And so he gives them. And I want you to notice a great exchange that takes place because in this, we have the gospel right before us. Godly wisdom is a picture of the gospel that takes what we have and substitutes it and and removes it from us and gives us something new from God. So notice and and write these down very quickly. I'm going to move quick with it. We come to Jesus as sinners with our sin. And James says he takes our sin. And notice the first of the eight characteristics. He brings purity. So you bring sin in your wisdom. In God's wisdom, he covers our sin with purity. Number two, we come with Jesus wrought with strife. Write that down. We bring strife. And notice the second characteristic 
He brings peace. We struggle with people. We can't get along with people. And God is the prince of peace, and he takes our strife and he replaces it with peace. Number three, when we come to Jesus, we're stubborn. We're stubborn. It's our way or the highway. Our preferences are not preferences. They're convictions. And if anybody isn't living according to our conviction, they're going to feel our pain. We are a stubborn, stiff-necked people. But when God's wisdom is brought into our lives, notice we go from being stubborn and unmoving to gentle and open to reason. God replaces that in our hearts. Next, we come in our sin with selfishness. With selfishness. And Jesus shows us and models for us and and is the great display of it that he takes our selfishness and he showers us with his mercy. And he showers us with selfless fruits of goodness. We bring our selfishness and Jesus by his blood brings us the fruit. He's generous with us. Notice we come with our snobbiness, our snobbiness. We're better than anyone else. At the heart of snobbiness is this thought that I'm God and you're not. And so you need to live life like me. You need to recognize my greatness. And if you don't, I'm going to shun you. And so we come to Christ with all manners of snobbiness. And notice what Jesus brings through the gospel. He brings impartiality. We're all the same. Godly theology says you and I are broken the same way. We're hurting. We're in need in the same way. Finally, we come as a sham. Oh, we boast that we've got great things, that we're walking with God and we're doing all these things. And notice, the gospel allows us to be sincere, to be transparent. We're not boasting of things that aren't true, but we're resting and relying on what the gospel brings, the work of Jesus brings to our lives. And that's available through the gospel. And so maybe today you've never received godly wisdom. Well, listen, you'll never receive godly wisdom apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you're in trouble. You're on your own. And surely, don't you want the God of the universe to be for you? Don't you want the God of the universe to protect you? Don't you want the God of the universe to gift you with all kinds of good things? Then if you've never bowed the knee to Jesus, then I would tell you today, don't leave this place without knowing what true godly wisdom in the gospel is all about. Come talk to me. Come talk to our Welcome Center. Talk to the person next to you. Say, I want to know this godly wisdom and how to apply it to my lives. Finally, it opens the door to ministry. Notice verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. God has created you to live for him, to serve him, to worship him. Because he's God and you're not. Because he's God and I'm not. And when we receive the full wisdom of God... You and I are going to fall in love with that wisdom. It's going to change our lives. It's going to be something we want to share with the world. You see, it is then and only then that we'll have something to give to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family members that don't know Jesus. We have the hakma of God. We have the wisdom of God, which allows us to be a city on the hill that can't be hidden, to be a light in a world of darkness, to be salt in a world... Uh, that needs the salty preservation. But in order to do that, we must live out wisdom each and every day. 
So our prayer must be each and every day, God, I lack wisdom. Lord, will you give me wisdom today? Lord, give me wisdom on how to raise my family. God, give me wisdom on how to love my spouse. God, give me wisdom to work with that hard boss. God, give me wisdom to understand why I have cancer. God, give me wisdom with this unresolved conflict in my life. God, give me uh, wisdom to know whether to buy this thing or to say no. God, give me wisdom on what we should do in a year from now. God, give me wisdom in all my ways so I might honor you. In every way. When we do that, when we live out that kind of wisdom, James says we will change lives through a harvest of righteousness. So turn to God for wisdom. Confess that you lean on your own understanding. Fear God because it's the beginning of wisdom. Respect Him for all that He is and all that He has done. Humbly ask God each and every day for wisdom. And God says, I'll give it to you without finding fault. It's then and only then that we'll truly understand when Jesus says that he came to give us life, what abundant life really is. Turn to God in wisdom, I pray.